Luke chapter 11. Last week we started a, you know, a passage of scripture, and I felt like the best way to kind of get the point across was to introduce this idea of the gospel logic. And we talked about, which it went live on our podcast yesterday. So if you missed last week, um, this will be the two-part to that. So it'll make more sense if you go back and listen to last week's message, which is on our website. But we talked about how sometimes I feel, and from the text where, and we'll read the story, you'll see it, but I feel like the devil gets credit for some of the things that God is doing, and God gets blamed for some of the things that the devil is doing. Anybody see that? Has anyone ever experienced that? Well, the Lord's leading, a.k.a. Satan is working. (laughs) You know what I mean? So when I read this text, I'm like, I see a logic. I see a logic that Jesus is approaching. And I don't mean like, like the modern sense of like, okay, Jesus is using the laws of logic. I mean like literally there is a path of thinking that the gospel follows. And that path ends, ends and begins with Jesus. So I want, you to, I want you to follow here. And hopefully to clarify, there, I think there's like four or five things last week that the devil does. And four or five things that, that Jesus does in his kingdom. Let's Here we go. Do y'all need someone? Okay. Uh, So there were four or five things that the devil does and four or five things that Jesus does, and it really helped us set the stage for what is God doing in our lives and what is the devil doing in our lives. And that way we can kind of stop playing the blame game, if you will, and we can maybe set the record straight in our own hearts and in our own lives and begin to move forward spiritually. How many want to take a step forward? For the cause of Christ. Yeah, that's what it's all about. So anyway, Jesus is always, he is breaking it down. I mean, I love the way he handles the Pharisees. I love the way he handles the religious, the religious rulers. So th- this passage is no exception, but let's, let's dig in and read and uh, see what God has for us here in these next few verses. Luke 11, verse 29. Jonas, the son of man. And when the people were gathered thick together. Like I think sometimes, remember, the Bible wasn't written in English. Sometimes the wording here, we, we have trouble perceiving what the author is trying to get across, right? Some of the other versions maybe are a little easier to understand, but the one that I use and that has uh, just been kind of what I've grown up with, it makes sense to me, but I want to explain it to you. And when the people were gathered thick together, the Greek word beneath the text that caused them to, to say that is when more people were coming. That's what, that's what he's trying to, that's what he's saying here. So remember, we ended last week with one lady speaking up from the crowd. And she said, yo, whoever you're what? Whoever your mama is, she's a good woman. And if you want to know more about that, listen to last week's message. But Jesus cast out a demon. They accused him of doing it in the devil's name. Right, and, and Jesus said, the gospel logic there doesn't make sense. If the devil is inhabiting someone, he ain't going to give up his real estate. You know what I'm saying? Right. So he set them straight on that and, and said some other few things. And there was a lady there that was like, yo, man, whoever your mama is, she's a blessed woman. And Jesus said, no, whoever hears the word of God and keeps it, which is the verse right before, 
They're a blessed person. They're my servants. And remember, keep doesn't mean just like, I got it. Where are we going? (laughs) It means guard it. It means protect it. It means keep it close. Defend it. Right? I'm going to defend the gospel logic, which means I'm going to defend the way this Bible tells me to handle my relationships. I'm going to defend the way this Bible tells me to rear my children. Whosoever guards, keeps my word, Jesus says, those are my homies. You know what I'm saying? That's what he's trying to say. Right? Anyway. Verse 29, we pick up the story. And he says, and when these people were gathered thick together, in other words, there's already a crowd, there's, always the lady, there's already the lady in the back that said, yo, whoever your mama is, she's, she's really cool, right? People kept coming. Such is life around Jesus as the 12 disciples realized. They were gathered thick together. In other words, the crowd is growing, verse 29. And he began to say, I'm telling you, this is going to be a rough message for some of you. <laughs> This is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given, but the sign of Jonas the prophet. So like, man, Jesus is like, here comes the crowd. Do, 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 do. And he's like, you know, anyway. So here comes this crowd, and Jesus is like, y'all are evil. I mean, way to, way to win them over, Jesus. Like, way to be kind. Way to set the stage for, right? Like, what is he... What's he saying? Where's he coming from? So I'm just, next week, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to practice this because we're simply Jesus here. When y'all start gathering in with your coffee, I'm going to be like, y'all evil! And we're going to see how it works, okay? Because that's what Jesus did. And then I hope to see you next week. I'm going to tell you the same thing, okay? Because they seek a sign. He's saying they're evil because they seek for a sign. And there shall be no sign given. I'm going to unpack this. And I think that this is going to be so helpful for us this morning. It was very helpful for me this week. The only sign that's going to be given was like Jonas the prophet. Verse 30. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man to this generation. The Queen of the South shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Ooh. We're going to unpack that too. For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. He was talking about himself. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. I'm going to stop right there. John MacArthur says this, the sobering reality is that those who rely on their self-righteousness, stay with me, external morality, legalism, and religious rituals merely make comfortable homes for demons. And we just learned that last week. Remember what Jesus said, a demon is in the desert when he doesn't have a body to inhabit. He's looking for water when he doesn't have somebody. But remember the man in the story in the parable before, he got himself all cleaned up and hair cut and suit and tie on and the demon came back with seven others and was like, let's go party. What Jesus is saying as these people are being gathered, as those that are accusing Jesus of doing things in the wrong power satan's power jesus is like your gospel logic is so far out in left field let me explain something to you y'all are evil and let me tell you why i'm gonna break it down for you 
And the point is, is people who are outwardly gorgeous spiritually, and remember the Lord's Prayer, and then the Luke 18 parable of the Pharisee over here and the publican over there, one went away redeemed, the one who didn't look good on the outside, the one who did look good on the outside was condemned, right? So we have to change our logic, our thinking in the church to this position where I am not just putting on a ritualistic, spiritually uh, persona that others will think I got it together. Jesus is like, that's evil. This is not good. This is a problem. You're just making pretty homes for demons. And for some of you, this is hard. This is hard to understand, not just to understand, but to reconcile, to resolve with this concept that Jesus would look at these people and say, you're evil. And I want to help you with that. Those of you that think, and I'm not, trust me, man, I'm just preaching the word of God. That's all I'm doing, right? I'm reading the text and I'm explaining to you what's, what's going on here. So, so I'm not trying to make enemies. I'm trying to make Jesus followers this morning. Do you understand? So don't get mad at the text. Understand. See what's beneath what he's trying to teach us. Let's change our logic. If, if you were seated next to Christ right now and he looked at you and said, I'm sorry, but you're wrong, would you accept it? Unfortunately, this, this generation, these people that were around him in this story, guess what? They didn't. You follow me? I'm hot. Excuse me. Got to take this off. How many of you are warm? See, Mr. Dave? <laughs> We've been arguing about the heat all morning. He says, continue on. <laughs> Listen to this. Matthew, the tax collector, throws a party for his friends to come and meet the man from Galilee that changed his entire perspective on life. And the Pharisees are upset that Jesus would even be seen with such sinners. If he was the spiritual leader that he claimed to be, Jesus, his response was one for the books. I came to those that are in need of a physician, he said. I came to present for those that need me, not for those that think they have it all figured out. Jesus said, I came to heal the sick. Not to be a spectacle for those that are already healed. I think sometimes in our humanistic thinking, in our logic that is not gospel logic, we think that we're inherently good. And that's a problem. We have to be confronted with the fact that we are not inherently good. That's a new truth for some of you. But that's the truth of the gospel. The difference here is the perspective, listen to me, is the perspective of the sinner, not the spiritual state of the sinner. The perspective of the sinner is what changes everything, not his spiritual state. As soon as we start measuring our spiritual state instead of our perspective towards our spiritual state, we've got a problem. Well, you know, I'd give him another month or two and he'll be right and ready for the church and serving the Lord. What do you mean by that statement? Where's your logic in understanding where people are in their spirituality and what standard are you using to put people in those categories? 
We're either called and equipped by the Holy Spirit or we're called and equipped by our logic of what good looks like. Which one is it? You either know where they fit or you don't. It's either your responsibility or it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. Each and every one of us are fitly joined together because this is His church and He's building it. My giftings are not my giftings. They're what God gave me to use. So I didn't call myself. He called me into it and blessed me with the giftings for the job that He had for me. And my job is no better than the job of those that came this week and scrubbed the the, the church and, and that invited someone else out and that was kind and that shared a meal this week for those that were sick. The church is the church. And whether you're the toe or whether you're the nose, it is God who calls and equips, not our judgment of where they should and should not serve. Gospel logic. Romans 4, 5 is still in the book. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. To him that worketh not. I'm not asking for a whole group of people to come in here and sit in pews so that I can motivate you to do good. Okay, now, what are you struggling with this week? Let's get a count on it. I want to motivate you to overcome that. We're going to get over that hump with a spiritual talk. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not here so that we can count good works. I'm here so that our faith can be found in His righteousness, not our own. There's a difference. And and it makes all the difference in the world. It's not the good, but those that are given the goodness of God. Listen to that statement. It's not the good but those that are given the goodness of God. It's not those that do, but those that receive. Jesus said you're wicked because it was what they were doing, not what they were receiving. I'll pull up right here just for a moment to say that salvation is a free gift. Trusting in Jesus Christ is believing that He is offering you something that He bought and paid for, not something that you can earn to get your way to heaven. It's not what you do. It's what you receive. The beggar that receives shows appreciation. But the one that does not need is only living in condemnation. Because that's what he has. And everything that he has, the Bible says at the end of his life, will what? Burn. Wood, hay, stubble. Our our righteousness, Isaiah even puts it this way, is as what? Filthy rags. Why are we trying to convince ourselves that we're something that we're not? Oh, I know why. Because we have a hard time living with ourselves. We have a hard time living with the fact that I'm not as good as other people think I actually am. Not not an easy concept. Those that receive do. Here's the two stories. Look uh, Look right there at verse 29. And when the people were gathered thick together, right, they sought for a sign. Jesus said, I'm not going to give you a sign other than the one that was already given like Jonah the prophet. Jonas, Jonah, that's what... That's what is the, that's the prophet that's being talked about. The spelling's a little different. Verse 30, for as 
Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. Look at 31. The Queen of the South shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Listen to 32. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in, in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn them. So listen. Jesus says, follow the text here. Y'all are evil. And you know who's going to tell... Oh, this is so good. You know who's going to tell you that you're evil at judgment? The people who you think are evil. You're an evil generation, and all the people who you won't even speak to, all the people who you think you're better than, those are the people that are going to look at you and say, sorry, you're the evil ones. That's tough. The two stories look like this. The Queen of Sheba, if you want to dig into that more, it's 1 Kings 10, 1 through 9. Listen to this. She was a pagan. She saw the wisdom of Solomon, and she believed. And what Jesus was saying is, I'm greater than who? Solomon. The story is an Old Testament story about King Solomon, the son of David. How King David had bloody hands. He wasn't able to build the temple, the house of God. So that was a job left for his son Solomon. And remember Solomon, without getting into the whole thing, he was literally the wisest man in all the world. Queen of Sheba, someone who believed in many gods, Someone who believed in pagan rituals traveled, and the Bible says she gave hundreds of talents of gold to King Solomon. A talent is like 70 pounds. It's a form of weight measurement. When you hear the, when you hear the word in the Bible, that talent, that's a measure of weight. That's like a 60-pound dumbbell. So she gave hundreds of 60-pound dumbbells of gold to Solomon, and she was a pagan, idol-worshipping, non-believer. A pagan, non-worshipping, idol believer, all that, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm saying it backwards. That lady traveled all the way. The queen of the south came all the way to Solomon. And when she sat at his feet and heard his words, she believed. She said, truly, this is the wisdom from on high. Truly, you have something that money cannot buy. And she gave him an unbelievable amount of money and wealth and gifts, things towards the house of God. Think, think about that, church. Someone who was a pagan non-believer. And Jesus said, guess what? If the queen of Sheba, who never believed, who worshipped idols, would come and listen to Solomon and believe in what he had to say, this tells me why you're so wicked. Because I'm the Son of God. I'm Jesus, and I'm standing here telling you truth, and you're seeking for a what? A sign. What about the Queen of Sheba? She didn't need a sign. She came all the way, and Solomon just told her, and she knew in his wisdom that it was true. What about the Ninevites? Jonah, he didn't want to go there. He was the one who said, I'm not going there. Those people can rot in hell. Those people killed my people. I'm not going there. And then what happened? Swallowed in the belly of a what? A whale. Knowing that God would take that ship under as he's fleeing to Tarshish, he tells the ship captain, throw me overboard, all right? Because I'm the reason this ship is about to go down. 
They throw Jonah over and everything's what? Okay. Here comes the fish. Bloop, bloop. And Jonah's chilling in the belly of a whale like, are you serious? Can you imagine? Who wants to be saved from a... You know, from an absolute storm in the belly of a whale, I can think of other ways I'd rather be saved. But I'm safe in here in some kind of like hyper-spiritual submarine, God. You know, like taking me all the way down to the bottom. But what does this mean? Oh, wait a minute, I'll tell you. So Jesus, Jonah didn't want to go. Jesus came into his own. Willingly. For God so loved the world that he gave. Jonah fought and fought and fought and fought. And Jesus said, I'll give up my kingdom. I'll come down. I'll put on human flesh. I'll go through temptations. I'll go all the way to the cross. How do we prepare our heart for Holy Week? Prepare your heart by thinking about what Jesus did for you and what Jesus did for me. He said, I'll go because I love them. Jonah in the heart of a, Jonah in the whale's belly three days and three nights so that he would not see corruption got launched. He was a vomit chunk and then decided, all right, I guess I'll go to Nineveh. How about that, kids? You know what I'm saying? We got a God that will put you in a whale's belly and then throw you up three days later. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Sounds like a good line to invite somebody to church. Yo, man, my God, pff, I mean, he gives rides in whales. You know? That's pretty good. Think about that one. I'm just saying. But the point of the story is, Jesus goes, okay, (sighs) y'all evil, first of all, first of all, all y'all evil, and it's because you know these stories. I'm telling you something you know. The Queen of Sheba was not Jewish. She came from all the way down south up to the northeast. Anyway, I'm just making that up. But the point is, she came all the way to have a conversation with Solomon, and what he said was good enough as gold for her. And she was saved. Jonah didn't even want to go to Nineveh, and I had to use a whale to get his tail back to Nineveh so that he could give the gospel to non-believers. And guess what happened? He didn't even want to be here. He didn't even want to be there. He gave the gospel, and what happened? The whole city, what? Repented. And they were like, oh my goodness, this is truth. And Jonah was like, man. (laughs) He didn't even want him to get saved. Jonah was like, the gospel is so powerful that I just gave it to him. That's the way that it was. And this whole nation repented, and now they're going to heaven. Jesus said, that's the sign you're going to get. The sign is that Jonah didn't even want to be there, and I want to be here. And I'm not good enough for you. Mm. At some point, we've got to wake up and smell roses. That what you think is going to be enough... To, to cause you to sell out for Christ is never going to be enough. If simply Jesus is not a message that gets you excited, no sign will. Just give us a sign. Scholarship says that they were looking for him to like reverse the wind. Right? Levitate. Do something that was physical. And he was like, y'all got no idea. I just cast out a demon. Don't you think that if I wanted to do that, I what? I could. And the point is, if I did that, guess what? You still wouldn't believe. That's the point of the story. i got to find my notes. God loved you to himself, church. 
God extends grace that reaches past anything we could ever contribute, church. Remember the story about the Good Samaritan? Remember we talked about that a few weeks back? The point of the Good Samaritan, what was the point of the story? The point of the story was that we never would have gone to that extent to save someone who was an enemy. That's the point. When are we going to get this theme through our hearts and understand through gospel logic that this is not a work of our own flesh? This is a work of the Spirit. Matthew 28, 11 through 20. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and go there. Matthew 28, 11 through 20. It doesn't stop there. Church, it doesn't stop there. These evil people, we continue the story, right? Next week is Holy Week. Palm Sunday marks the time when they were praising Jesus' name, right? Hail King Jesus. And within one week, they were saying what? Come on. Crucify him. Crucify him. Does that make any sense? Where's the logic in that? The logic is, is that if you have a belief system, if you have a religious POV, point of view, that is you doing to earn or to move the needle on your eternity or your spirituality, then you're wrong. You're the evil generation that Jesus is talking about. That's the reality of the text. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. There's no end to that. There's no end to legalism. There's no end to good works accomplishing something for the sake of eternity. Why do I know that? Because these people denied, 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 right? Let me show you the end of the Pharisees. Matthew 28, 11 through 20. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. This is right after the resurrection. All the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money, And did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. What in the world? Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And he ascended up into heaven. So all the way up until the end, when Jesus leaves, what what is the narrative of the story? Story, story, story. These same evil people, all the way to the end, after Jesus gave them, watch, the ultimate sign. What was the ultimate sign? The resurrection. Jesus knew that was going to happen. 
He knew he was going to go to the cross. Remember, he's still trying to convince his disciples this whole time. There's been many a times that he's pulled up and tried to have a one-on-one with these guys and be like, look, I'm, I'm going to the cross. And they didn't, want to, they didn't want to have anything to do with it. But the point was is that he died, was put in the grave, and three days later he what? Boom. He come up out of that grave. We're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday the fact that he is risen. That everything that he said was true. That, oh my goodness gracious, Lord God Almighty came down into the flesh. And not only did he come down into the flesh, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. All the sin that mankind has endured and gone through, he took it on himself. And he lived perfectly, and he went right up to the cross, died for it, went into the grave. And three days later, what? Rose again. The gospel logic is that Jesus was telling the what? The truth. And what did they do? They went and found the guards, these same evil people, and they said, hey, I'm going to give you some money. And what you're going to do is you're going to say that his disciples came and what? Took his body. These soldiers are going, I mean, yo, I'm going to take your money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm going to take your money. But what happened, happened. I can almost think that the soldiers were looking at him and going, when are y'all going to give it up? When are y'all going to give it up? And the Bible says the saying is true unto what? This day. People still deny it. Y'all, if, <laughs> if somebody could raise themselves from the dead and beat the grave... I'm on his team. You know what I'm saying? I'm with that guy. Whoever your mama is, she the girl. Right? Remember the last passage? No. Whoever takes what I'm saying as truth and keeps it. Church, listen to me. It does Whatever you're seeking this morning, if it's not him, it's not going to work. They went all the way to the nth degree to pay off and create a fabricated story. While we're celebrating his resurrection on Easter, they're going to be like, yep, y'all heard, didn't you? His disciples yanked him out of there and took him across town. (laughs) I'm serious! Where's the logic in that? I was listening to a pastor this week talk about how what we believe is like, Rooted in the fact that we have scripture. I think it's like, I mean, hundreds of millions of copies circulated. 99% like this. All the stories. Not one theological difference in any of the manuscripts that were produced. And the whole entire New Testament, watch this, was completed 70 years after the death of Christ. 70 years after the death of Christ, the entirety of the New Testament was compiled and was moving around the known world. Hey, here's the story. Hey, here's the gospel. Let me explain something to you about Jesus. He is the man, and he'll take everything you're not, and he'll give it to you, and it's including a home in heaven if you'll just believe and trust in him. You see, we couldn't do it. The first Adam couldn't do it, but the second Adam sure could. And he lived And he did everything he did for you and I. Here's the Bible. All the Pauline epistles. All the gospels. Within 70 years 
of Jesus going. You know, we believe things about Alexander the Great from two authors that completed that history 400 years after he passed. Go watch Levi Lusco. He preached a message last week, and that's what, that's what the man... I mean, it's crazy. History is fact! These two authors wrote books 400 years later about his life and his conquest as a 30-year-old man. And we take it as what? History! Fact! It happened! Alexander the Great conquered the known what? Huh? World. Wow! Alright, see y'all next week. <laughs> Jeez. What was the first president of the United States? That was a little weak too. Alright. We're going, we're going to have a history lesson next week, okay? And we're all going to read a book together and we're going to read it aloud. It's going to be a great experience. That's how we have what we believe. Just in case that social media and the internet has ruined everybody, okay? There was times when things happened and other people wrote them down and other people read about it later and they're like, oh yeah, that's really cool. That's called history, okay? And there was a 400-year gap between Alexander the Great's life and the two men who wrote about him, and we believe it. Okay, unless you didn't go to the right school. You went to the school for kids who don't read good. <laughs> Great classic movie. Church, with, take the mind-blowing gospel logic that in 70 years, the entirety of the New Testament was circulating around the world. And we still have it today. 99.9% accurate as far as the copies together. Not one theological difference. And I say, who's the first president of the United States? And you all say, yeah, George Washington. Were you there? Did you meet George and Martha? Would you go over for tea or something? How do you know? But we believe it because we have a history book. I'm just saying, it makes sense what we believe. By faith. It's an experience, not just a book knowledge. If you're struggling with the logic of it on that end of it, come on back. Believe it first by faith, and I promise you all those things will fall into line. It's a true story by the prophets. But my point is this. These gents, these wicked people, listen to me, were good people. Church, they were good people. People would look at them and say, they have it together. They are the religious leaders. They run the synagogues. If you need something, you go to them and they'll help you. They'll give you spiritual guidance. And Jesus said, you're wicked. How do you reconcile that fact? They're good people. Jesus calls them evil. I'm going to tell you how to reconcile that. I'll give you just a few points that will help you reconcile that. But this story, understanding that those very people were paying people off at the end of the day to say that his resurrection didn't happen. How does that happen? Okay, quickly. Good isn't good. Romans 5.12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world. John 3.19-20. And this is the condemnation. And here's the next part. Stay with me, church. This is the next part of the passage that we'll look at today. And we'll close here. John, John 3.19-20. And this is the condemnation. This is where we get the fact that they were evil. That light is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were what? Evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light 
neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Go back, Luke chapter 11, verse 33. Look at it. Verse 33, if you have your Bibles open to the original text. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place. Neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. And when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light. And as when the bright shining of the candle doth give thee light. Church, we're going to end with this illustration. How many have a flashlight at home? Y'all need to go to the store when you leave here, and the rest of you need to get a flashlight. You never know when a power outage is going to come. How many have a candle? You're the most unprepared congregation. (laughs) Do you have a generator? Anybody? Man, and they're the same people who had the flashlights. Some of y'all are done. When the zombie apocalypse hits, I ain't going to your house, and I'm not letting you in either. I'm just saying. Man, y'all need to prepare yourselves. Listen, church, listen. Jesus said, (laughs) how many of you light a candle and go put it under the table? Man, it's really dark in here. Hold on, let me go get a candle and light it. And then I'm going to go put it under here. Hey, y'all, can you see? Can you see anything? Why not? Nobody does that. Nobody turns on a flashlight and puts it under their jacket. We're in the woods. Hey, I got my flashlight. This is going to work really good. I got a brand new Home Depot. And you turn it on, and then you put it in your pocket. All right, guys, let's go. Come on, hold hands. It's really hard to see. Well, why don't you take the flashlight out of your what? Oh, and then we'll be able to. So Jesus is like, y'all are evil. There's been people who believed that, like, should not have believed but believed, and y'all got it right in front of your face, and you what? Y'all are like somebody who turns on a flashlight and goes and put, leaves it in the car. Are you scared that you'll be one of those people? Because I'm telling you, they didn't see it. Let me give you a few truths to send you home with. These are the people that put the flashlight in their pocket. Gospel logic is not afraid of the good, listen, of the good tension. Good is clearly God, and that is manifest through the Holy Spirit in me. So here's how we get the light. Here's how we take the flashlight out of our pocket and use it. When good things happen and when you do good things, don't be afraid of the good tension. Just give God credit. They spent their whole lives building up good deeds so that others would see them. That good tension is good. It's so that others look at you and they say, I'm seeing something good in there. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Take the flashlight out of your pocket and shine it on the path. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Whoa, whoa! This is that moment, that time, kids. We're about to have a chance to illuminate someone else's life. Oh, yeah, I'm a really good person, aren't I? You just shoved the flashlight in your pocket. No. You know what? 
God's really good. I would be nothing if He hadn't saved me 10, 15 years ago. I was a sinner. I was no good. And He came into my life. And now I do all these really good things. And it's His Spirit in me. He just takes over. He produces kindness. I give generously. I don't, I don't even know how this is happening. You're putting the candle on the candlestick. You're showing other people around you the light of the world. But this is the condemnation, John 3, that the light came into the world and they loved the darkness. Is it because they were evil people like you're thinking? No! God was saying the evil people were the people that looked good. They were the ones out front saying, look at me, I'm the flashlight, check me out, yeah? No, you're not. Your deeds are evil, Romans says. This is going to be some next level. John 1, 9 through 12 says, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world. The world was made by him. Watch this. And the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But <laughs> as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The second thing is that gospel logic makes us sons and daughters not distant cousins that name drop Jesus to earn good merit badges with a seared conscience. There's a lot of truth in that. The gospel logic is okay with the good tension. When other people look at you, you give the goodness of God right back to the one who, who deserves it. That's gospel logic. And number two, you're a son and daughter. God said, I'm not, I've not come <laughs> to merely try to make you look better. I've come to make you a son and daughter. You're a part of me. You're a part of my family. Not a distant cousin that name drops Jesus to earn a good merit badge with a seared conscience. How many have experienced that? Yeah, you know, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I do really good things. You're like some kind of weird distant cousin. Like the duplicity that's involved there. People who are afraid to give the goodness back to God aren't sons and daughters. Sons and daughters that come to the table are adopted. They know what they come from. Ephesians 5.8 For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the what? Light. I'm just carrying the message. I'm carrying the light. I'm a son and daughter. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. I don't have time to get into that, but that should show forth the praises of him that hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The third thing is that gospel logic is for us to be filled with what God sees. It's for us to be filled with what God sees. The last verse says in Luke 11, If thy whole body therefore be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright light shining of a candle doth give thee light. Church, as I close, think, think here with me. The Bible says that the eye is the gate to the what? Soul. And if thy eye be single, is what the text says. So what's Jesus saying? Light is used to come through the what? The eye. 
and it illuminates the interior being of your soul, spiritually speaking. So here's what it means. Singular, if thine eye be singular or if thine eye be cloudy. The Greek text puts it this way. Some of you have an eye that doesn't let light through. Others have eyes that are clear and that see what things are and why they are the way they are. So here's what Jesus is trying to say. If you're to walk as children of the light, then you're seeing the world the way God sees it. There's a lot of implications to that. More than I have time to get into today. But I want you to think about this. How do you view the world around you? No, no, no. Wait a minute. Pastor Matt, you said this is about setting, setting a light on a candlestick. This is about carrying Jesus everywhere. That was an analogy he used. But Jesus brought that analogy home with the analogy of the eye. He said the light will illuminate your body. That's on the, what? On the inside. He's saying if you see the world clearly the way I'm going to see it, the light is going to come in your eye and fill your heart. Gospel logic is not worried about protecting. It's about worried about it's it's worrying about what? Receiving. It's Jesus' another creative way that Jesus says, Stay with me, church. Poor ding. Give that poor girl Bible. Once again, it's not about how you look. It's about the way you're looking at it. I know this is like a, it's a next level concept. It's hard because when I talk to some of you about the way the world is, it's, well, shut it down. Katie, bar the door. Circle the wagons. Lord, come on back. But are we viewing the world with the compassion of Christ? If we do, watch, our eyes are open and light comes what? In, and you're at peace with what's going on. Paul said, I renew the inward man daily. The gospel logic. Another week to talk about it. Another week to present to you a different perspective of what Jesus is trying to say to us. I hope that you'll open your eyes and let that light in. You know, the devil's really good at putting colored contacts on all of us, isn't he? He just, we walk around and he's like, <laughs> look at it through that filter. Here's some rose-colored glasses to use as you walk around. Take the blinders off. You were twofold the child of wrath. You were in the same position. Stop thinking your stuff doesn't stink. The only good that is you is in you, produced by you seeing the light. How are they to know if they've never what? Seen it. Every 